welcome. Why don't you uh, introduce yourself for the, the good people listening? Sure. So my name is Justin Ball. Um, I'm originally from Ohio, uh, but now I work at the Swiss Plasma Center in Lausanne, Switzerland, uh, where I do fusion research. Uh, I got my got my my PhD in, in fusion on in theoretical physics, working on on plasma physics and fusion about three or four years ago. Yeah, your PhD in fission or fusion. Sorry. Sorry. What, yeah, uh, fusion. Sorry. Fusion. Yeah, yeah, fusion. Sorry, you just broke up. Yeah. Okay. I'm adding. I'm adding. Um, who's Jason? it? Jason. Jason. Yeah. So, so, what's going on, man? Can you he hear us? <laughs> <laughs> I guess no. Hey, Jason. Jason and Justin. So, Justin Ball on the right and on the left, Jason. How do I say your last name? Parisi. 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 Okay. He froze up. Is he frozen for you? No, I can see him. Can oh, no, 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 he's blinking. He's blinking. I thought he was frozen. So you got your PhD in fusion research, and you're from Ohio, and you live in Switzerland, correct? Yep. Okay. And, um, yeah, Jason, why don't you uh, introduce yourself so I don't butcher it? I think he might still be getting <laughs> set up. It's fine. It's fine. You can introduce him if you want. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's Jason. All right. It's, it's uh... <laughs> Some guy I met. I yeah. don't really know. Yeah, some dude. A lot. Ah, I should I should say um, uh, we wrote uh, we wrote a book together. Yeah. So yeah. um, on fusion energy because it's a really cool topic. Mm-hmm. At least I think so. Um, and one that has like a really compelling public message. Absolutely. Um, but it's not really it's not really communicated very well, especially by fusion scientists. Okay. So so Jason and I wrote a pop science book. Yeah, just discussing kind of the science yeah. and, and physics of fusion. Now, is it out right now? What what can you tell everyone where to get? Because I'm going to get it. I'm going to read it. And yeah, where where can I get it? It's called the, the Toward the Future of Fusion Energy. It's on Amazon. There's a there's an ebook uh, paperback as well. Um, you can also order it directly from the publisher, World Scientific, or right. probably probably Amazon's best. Are you guys going to get it on Audible? You got to get it on Audible, uh, man. You got to tr- take it from I think, me. I think Jason, I think Jason should definitely read it. He's got this uh, very credible sounding British accent. Hey, when man, he gets you sound his, intelligent. You got it. You got it. Uh, we lost <laughs> We left Jason. We lost Jason. Um, Yeah. No, I mean, you got to put it on Audible. Because for me, dude, I'm 29 years old. I graduated college in 2013 with a biology degree. I was accepted to medical school. And I hated studying. I hated reading. Mm. I hated everything about it. So it's been six years, really, since I picked up a book. And in 2019, I got Audible. Dude, I probably listened to 95 books last year. So from someone like me, <laughs> I, I will re, I will listen. To, it can be about anything. I'll listen to it just to have something. So that's what I tell everyone that I have on who's written a book. I'm like, you got to put it on Audible. Yeah. You're, you're shooting Oops. yourself in the foot if you don't. Books for people, or books for people who hate reading. Right? Yeah, seriously, right? <laughs> yeah. Hey, Jason, can you are you you ready to rock? Absolutely, Absolutely. let's do it. Hello. He does have a credible English accent. You're right, Justin. <laughs> he Told did, you. Yeah, he sounds <laughs> smarter than both of us. Jason, or uh, sorry, Justin Ball on the right, Jason Parisi on the left. For everyone watching, Jason, why don't you uh, introduce yourself? Okay, hi. Well, um, thanks for having us on the show, Tom. Absolutely. That's uh, really kind of you. Absolutely. 
Okay, so uh, obviously great to be here. Um, I My name is Jason Creasy. I'm a final year PhD student at the University of Oxford, and um, I'm currently stubby, studying uh, turbulence in nuclear fusion reactors. Awesome. So yeah, you guys both have more intelligence in your pinky than I do in my entire body, but all right. So I've been reading more and more about this over the last couple of weeks, and I, I almost feel like I'm missing something because... It seems so glaringly obvious that we should be not only building a nuclear fission reactor every day, but we should be dumping a trillion dollars in a fusion. I'm, the more I'm reading about it, I'm like, wait, why is this not on the front page of every newspaper? And then I realize it has been since the Eisenhower administration, Adams for Peace, when he said that we will have more, we will have power to cheap to meter. And he wasn't even talking about fusion, he was talking about fission. All of the world's problems, and I'm probably going to get misquoted on this, stem from some sort of research, resource scarcity and uh, energy competition. I mean, the most basic being desalinization of seawater to give drinking water to everyone on the planet. That is an incredibly power-intensive, energy-intensive process. We run on the sun, which is fusion. Why are? Mm -hmm. Why is this not... I mean, and, you know, the trope has always been fusion's right around the corner. It's 40 years away. We've been saying that since black and white TVs were the hot new product, right? All right. Now we're shooting. Now we're shooting satellites past Pluto and we're still going fusion right around the corner, guys. And I fear that I'm going to be 80 years old with nanobots going through my body, but they're still going to be running off like a coal powered generator. Where are we on this and how, why is it not? Am I simplifying it too much? I mean, I mean, you're definitely simplifying it, but you know, you need to, right? Yeah. Uh, to communicate it at all. Um, I mean, so, so fusion is really hard. I, I think Jason and I probably, you know, both definitely agree that we should be putting a whole lot more money into fusion research. Um, because like you said, the, the total amount of energy that we have available is, is strongly correlated with quality of life, health, you know, everything that we care about in life really mm. is, is pretty closely tied towards uh, using energy mm. um, but but I mean I think good argument for increasing energy R&D across the board right because like you said fission um, is much simpler to do it's already put watts on the grid um, then there's renewables which which have a potential to expand a lot as well and so I think especially especially with the the dangers of climate change that we shouldn't mm. be investing in all sorts of stable energy options. Absolutely. Um, obviously, we're fans of fusion in particular. Yeah, it's yeah. That's the one thing that I, I that I bring up when you know you bring up how, why don't we have more nuclear reactors? Why are we stuck on Gen two or Gen three? Meanwhile, China is plowing ahead with I believe construction of twenty nuclear power plants. And then the, the counterpoint to that is always, well, what are we going to do with the waste? What are we going to do with, you know, it's so dangerous. Sure, it is. The waste from a fission reactor doesn't hold a candle to the waste we put out every day from fossil fuels, right? Over a billion cars on the planet. Like, it's, it's I don't think that's a comparable compare, or a comparable, yeah, analogy. Yeah. Um, with, I mean, 
people talk about radioactive waste staying dangerous for you know hundreds of thousands of years i mean there's other forms of industrial waste like say mercury yeah. that stays dangerous indefinitely right and you have to be you have to be careful with it yeah um yeah. it's so why so why why fusion over fission aside from just okay this you know this this the simplified answer because it's the end game it is you know there's not a sci-fi movie without fusion in it no sci-fi spaceships run off gasoline why why fusion over fission why not why not expand and evolve and refine fission versus well, going uh, into fusion i mean it's it's a great question i don't I, and i don't think i mean even in the long term i mean I, I there might even be cases where for whatever reason a fission based reactor is actually preferable to a fusion reactor um i mean this is this is an example like uh, it's not actually it's not really fission but it, it's it's a spacecraft that's powered by radioactive decay of um of uh of, of heavy um heavy atoms right like those kind of generators are very useful like a fusion reactor would probably be too large um i suspect that the minimum size that you could have for a fission reactor might be smaller than for a fusion reactor at least for the foreseeable future um and but just technically that the the energy density of uh the fuel for fusion is roughly an order of magnitude larger than for fission but it's right and then is that correct justin yeah yeah but right. i think uh, i think maybe i think that the big thing for us why we like fusion is so uh we we definitely support nuclear fission power um i actually i actually did a an internship or two in the nuclear fission industry working at, at power plants mm-hmm. um and i think the strongest argument against fission is proliferation it just it kind of makes me nervous um especially if you're you know solving trying to solve global warming entirely with fission you'd have to have power plants a lot of places that you're not necessarily comfortable with it um and you know it is it is a real threat and so with fusion you can you can really minimize the the risk from proliferation while still having this incredibly energy dense fuel um that can sustain humanity you know more or less indefinitely so why why don't you explain uh proliferation to everyone listening and why that's a problem okay i i'll I'll take a shot at it um so so basically um to have a system whereby you power uh, a lot of your uh, your base grid using um, fission power, you have to have a flows of fissile fuel. So that's usually going to be enriched uranium or plutonium that are flowing uh, to and from um, a power plant. And you also have to have pools where you store the, the fuel that has already been used, right? Um, and the point is, is that from both of these processes, um, if, say, for example, a terrorist group were able to uh, get hold of even a, a small amount, a very, very small percentage of the total number of floats uh, and amount of fuel and storage, um, then that could be disastrous in terms of uh, its implications for making a bomb, etc. So um, the point is, is that um, the amount of electricity demand is increasing even faster than energy demand because we're electrifying lots of that process. And therefore, um, if you expect that lots of that is going to come from fission, then you're going to have a disproportionate increase in the number of fission plants that you have. And the problem is, once you start to look at the numbers of how easy it would be 
to smuggle um, a significantly large amount of uh, enriched material to make a dirty bomb, for example, um, then that uh, becomes easier and easier the more plants that you have. And so I think what Justin was alluding to earlier is he's basically saying that, um, you know, you've got so many plants, it becomes a lot easier someone to sneak away a small amount of material, um, make a dirty bomb, detonate it over Manhattan or London, and suddenly the city's uninhabitable for uh, decades and, um, you know, it, it completely ruins the world economy and, and millions of people lose their lives. So, um, yeah, that's the, that's the scare with fission. And one of the big things about fusion um, is that you can actually make it in a way that is quite proliferation resistant. So it would be very hard for rogue agents to be able to um, take the fuel for uh, fusion and use it to make a bomb. Because for every nuclear weapon that's ever been made, you need fissile material. That's a necessary requirement for any bomb. Um, but you can't make a nuclear weapon just with the, the fuel for fusion. Hmm. That was that was a beautiful answer. Um, <laughs> yeah, that was, that was a wonderful answer. Um, okay, for... For, by the way, guys, don't don't let me guide this podcast. We can talk about whatever you want. I'm 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 trying to I'm trying to maintain with you guys. So for someone like me, we're all right for the layman. The bombs we dropped on Nagasaki and Hiroshima were fission bombs, a gun type bomb and an implosion bomb. Fusion bombs or the hydrogen bombs, the big ones, Edward Teller. Those were fusion bombs. Now you have to use a fission bomb to set off a fusion bomb. Fusion bomb is the fuel is if I'm correct, it's just it's it's heavy hydrogen, deuterium, and a radioactive hydrogen, tritium. Did we just blink out? Did you guys blink out? You guys just chopped off. Uh, yep. You're back. I see you now. You're, you're back. Okay. Um yep. Hello N hello NSA talking about fusion bombs. Yeah. Um <laughs> smile and wave, boys. Smile and wave. Yeah. Um hello, hello, yeah, hello MI six. We're here. Um but but with a fusion bomb, you're you're just using forms of hydrogen. You couldn't, but just having that fusion fuel, that's not dangerous, correct? So, so in two thousand and one, the U.S. government released a report that said that they had made substantial investments in a pure fusion bomb. So again, oh. right now, all bombs require fission material. So the U.S. government had made substantial investments in a pure fusion weapon, um, but nothing um practical came from that investment and that they discontinued the program and that there's no longer any any research going into it okay so so if, so, the, if the u.s so government not, yeah it's not theoretically impossible but, uh, you know the u.s you know gave it the old college try yeah. and, <laughs> and didn't, didn't anything i was gonna say yeah if the u.s government if uncle sam rolled up his sleeves and couldn't get it done then i'm not worried about a terrorist group in some cave in jalalabad pulling it off all right. So, right. So, um, so, where, where are we on fusion? Is this going to be? Are we going to have another podcast episode in twenty seventy and just you know one of these days it's coming along? Or are we really? Are we knocking on the door to? I mean, because let's. I mean, let's think about it. what would drive it more. Then you'd have to have something like the Manhattan Project where it's a quantum leap in dominance. Now, when we have more and more, let's just, let's go simple. With automation in, in industry, with automation in production and manufacturing, and even 
automation now in, in self-driving cars. We're getting to a point where everything, if it has an adequate AI, it can run on its own. Well, now the only limiting factor is just how do you run the thing? How do you power it, right? So we're getting to a point where now it's, it's not even who has the best X, Y, and Z manufactured thing, a press, a car, a delivery service, a drone, whatever. It's now who can, who can turn the lights on and keep them on cheaper. To me, that, that seems like that's the next big paradigm jump and who can run it. Is that almost what we need? Some sort of second Manhattan project for, it would be an economic war. It'd be who can power their stuff, you know? If you wanna to get to a point where it's like, it's summer in Atlanta and we can leave the windows open with the air conditioner on because we're running on fusion. You almost want to get to mm -hmm. a point where it's like, that's the new flex. That will be the new Instagram flex. Like, yeah, check out my new fusion reactor, right? You know, <laughs> brass knuckles, fusion, right? It's, is that what we mm -hmm. need? Do we need a Cold War part two? Not advocating Cold War, hello NSA and GCHQ, but is that what we need? I, I mean, your question, your, kind of, your question- It's jumping all over. A, a, couple, a couple important points. Um, the most important, of course, is, is money. So I, I definitely think that fusion research, all sustainable energy research and fusion energy research in particular would benefit from having extra money. Um, the field, the, the fusion devices, just the, the physics underlying them is very complicated. We don't even really have, have good computational models, let alone anything like predictive power. We can't really predict how a fusion device is going to perform before you turn it on. Hmm. And so the way we make progress generally is we build these huge, um, very expensive experiments, and then we study them. And so if we can build more experiments, if we can try kind of crazy things more on a whim, if we don't have to be as, as concerned about, about uh, um, conserving, you know, research, research money as much, then, then we can be, we can make, make quicker progress. Hmm. Um, and I definitely also agree that the world is becoming more um, energy focused of, of, you know, countries that have the capacity to produce cheap energy and lots of it will be, will be, um, better situated. The thing that should be mentioned though, is fusion is really complicated. It requires these big devices. Almost certainly when it first starts, it's going to be expensive. Yeah. Um, the devices will be unreliable. Uh, you know, we're kind of operating on the, the cusp of, of human knowledge. And so they're not going to be well optimized or anything. And so, you know, even if we get to a point where we're building a fusion power plant, it's not going to be, it's not going to be cheap at the start. There will be cheaper ways to produce electricity. Um, but you know, the critical resource for, for fusion as opposed to most other energy sources is knowledge. Mm. So if you, if you can find clever ways to do it, the fuel, the fuel is really cheap. You know, you can, with $20, you can buy enough fuel to satisfy your, I don't know, decades worth of your energy needs, right? The key, the key resources, the know-how, how you how you make these things. Yeah. And so it's kind of like a computer algorithm, right? Once you program the thing, once you figure out how it works, then, then you know, you're set. Yeah. It's, it's almost like we need some sort of, I mean, f nothing runs, you know, fusion energy is great. The only thing more efficient than fusion energy is fear. Nothing will make a, na a nation work. And I'm not calling, you know, I'm not, I don't mean that in some like dictator thing, but I mean, think about it. How the Manhattan Project get done? It wasn't because like, well, we think we should have this big bomb. 
Someone came into FDR's office and said, we believe German scientists are working on a bomb of, quote, fantastic explosive power, one of which could vaporize a city. Mm. So FDR, what, allocated $2 billion in 1940s money. While we're at, what we're not at war at the time, said, get it done. When we had to go to the moon, I had to go to the moon, but had to show up the Soviets because after they put Sputnik up and scared the shit out of us, right? What motivated us faster? What got us moving faster? What convinced a bunch of the uh, Air Force's number one guys with the right stuff to get in a thimble made of tin on top of a million tons of rocket fuel and light it at the bottom? It was fear. It was fear, right? Is we got to get there before they do. It's right. almost like we so need I, it. I, yeah, I'll see you. No, 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 dude. I'm hey, <laughs> okay. I, I hear enough I mean, of myself talking you know, every day. You guys, please. <laughs> okay, that's still. I mean, I think this is a very interesting question, and one that we all ask ourselves: like, is is it necessary that you have a Manhattan um, project, scale, size, and philosophy project? And I would say, um, it's it's very hard to say, but I think normalized the t the point in time. I do think that the 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 prize of building like a commercially viable fusion reactor is actually orders of magnitude harder than um, building a nuclear weapon, um, uh, in, in, in my opinion. So, you know, obviously, um, that means that you have to set people's expectations about how long these things um, are going to take. And there has been a long term concerted effort in fusion, but funding has been a lot less than um, what the US government um, anticipated would be needed, maybe an order of magnitude less. Um, than um, what would be needed to get a, a fusion plant. But let me just tell you a little bit about what's been going on behind the scenes. Because um, since like the late 1990s, there <clears throat> hasn't been a fusion reactor that has actually produced any fusion power. So the last proper um, deuterium-tritium campaign, that's the uh, two main fuels for the first generation fusion reactors, um, was in 1997 in a kind of quaint English village called Cullum. Uh, in a, in a reactor called the Joint European Taurus, or JET. Um, and that guy produced, like, I think it was about 15, 16 megawatts of power for a split second. Um, that was in 1997, and now we find ourselves 23 years later in, in 2020. And you're asking, what, what on earth is going on? Why has there been no progress? Well, I'd say there has been, but the way that the fusion community has decided to pool its resources, um, for better or for worse, is um, instead of trying lots and lots of small different fusion concepts on different reactors, what the community decided to do mainly was to build a massive reactor that tried loads of new concepts at the same time um, called ITER. And that's very close to completion. Um, and it's kind of slated for the end of 2025. Let's see um, if it makes that. But you're going to see a lot of new technology there. Uh, and the size of the reactor is 10 times bigger than anything that's been built before. The heating systems are absolute behemoths. I mean, this thing, this thing is probably the most complex machine that humans have ever built. Um, and um, so, you know, it's it's a really exciting time. I think one other one other point I'd like to make uh, is I was recently reading a very interesting book um, by um, one of my favorite kind of space authors. His name is Robert Zubrin, and it's called The Case for Space. Um, and in it, he talks about you know, over the past five years, the space launch industry has been revolutionized because you've had this kind of free market competition whereby you've had SpaceX um, and also Blue Origins. Mm -hmm. But I think SpaceX has been the dominant player where 
the cost of getting a kilogram to lower orbit or whatever has fallen by a significant proportion, right? And now there's this kind of massive explosion in like um, in space technology, et cetera, et cetera. Really exciting time. And he asks, could the same thing be done for fusion? Um, and I think the point is, fusion was still sufficiently far away um, from really understanding um, how to get a working reactor that we can't, unfortunately, we can't really put that technology out there yet in a way that not the private industry could really compete with one another because they're not competing on refinements, they're competing on fundamental yes. concepts. Yes. Um, so I, I'm very, I mean, I'm very excited about lots of the startups, but I am, con um, I do think that um, it's not been convincing yet that any of them have come up with a concept as good as the kind of main mainstream concept, which is the, um, which is the tokamak. So yeah, that's, that's pretty much my two cents um, on those two things. So if you waited a little bit longer, like 2025, um, there are quite a few new exciting projects. Maybe Justin can tell us about um, a few of the other exciting projects that are coming up in fusion. So, you know, it's basically, <clears throat> basically like it's been winter in the fusion community for 20 years in terms of new devices and spring is coming and new devices are on the horizon. Oh yes. Yeah, I, I wrote down some points. I'll, I'll, I'll come back to that. Yeah, mm -hmm. I said I, I wrote down some points about um, about about um, what you just said. The pri the privatization. There's a brilliant point. Is yeah, it's not refinement. It's 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 novel innovation. It's you know, we could. I, I believe the Apollo program was five percent of the GDP in nineteen between nineteen sixty three and or nineteen sixty two and nineteen sixty nine. Or 1962 to 1972 yeah it's it's refinement it's blue origin it's spacex it's united launch alliance it's boeing it's it's all the military contracts we've we've shot a million things right it's it's we we can do that now um yeah there's no there's no we're not even at the point where we see like exxon mobile and shell uh producing fission reactors that would be refinements let alone fusion is that a baby step that needs to happen first we need to see privatization or private companies creating fission or does that have the self-limiting reagent of non-proliferation uh, we don't want to see it be t taken off into that area uh, i mean i i would be very happy if the private industry was was able to get involved in a in a very substantial way yeah. um i really like jason's analogy of it's been it's been fusion winter and and there's signs that it that the spring might be breaking um there's there's this new well new there's this, this experiment eater that he mentioned that's the world's largest science experiment um it involves over half of the world's population it's a consortium of, of 37 countries, including the US, including um, all the countries in the EU, including China, Russia, Japan, um, that have contributed to this project. And I'm hopeful that this is kind of like the, the Kitty Hawk moment for mm -hmm. fusion and that it will, it will be a, a big transition in how the field works and, and how people view the field or in just simply people's awareness that mm -hmm. fusion is a thing um because eater should be if things go um as planned should be the first device in human history to produce net fusion power um in a, in a controlled way so it's it's designed to use uh, 50 megawatts of heating power to sustain 
um, the reactions that generate 500 megawatts, so half a gigawatt. So the scale is just the scale is you know power plant scale. Yeah. Um, and so this this will be liftoff, showing that it's theoretically possible. And then all of a sudden, countries where previously you know countries have been coming together to build these things, now all of a sudden countries will say, hey, we want to do this first. Yeah, right? yeah. It's, so yeah. then you'll see this like this the split off of yeah. all these countries being like, we need to get ahead of these other people, right? Yeah. And so maybe. But that, not, not sure about fear, but maybe some elements of competition, competition all Health of a sudden competition motivating. Sprinkled with some existential yeah. fear. And then, yeah. and then after that, um, after you get uh, countries that are each building their own demonstration power plant, so again, ITER is kind of a proof of principle. It won't actually put electricity on the grid. Then you get countries that are competing against each other, fighting each other to be the first countries to, to produce a demonstration power plant that actually you know sells electricity. And then after that, you get the, the corporations that then take over. Um, and really, you get the, the great power of, of, mm-hmm. of capitalism in the marketplace to, to reduce this to practice and, and get the costs um, in, a, in, in a competitive yeah. Uh, situation. Yeah, I like that. I like that imagery. It's, it's, yeah, it's everyone's coming together and everyone's throwing in just enough money to see if it works. As soon yeah, as it yeah. does, it's like, deuces, we're out of here. Like, we're going back home. <laughs> you know, we're bringing the money back home. But, I mean, you almost kind of need that, right? You almost kind of need that. It's, you know, it's it's like, a, it's like how do you, how do you get, how do you get uh, the West Coast settled by America, right? Well, you send a couple guys out there and they go, hey, I think there's some gold out here. And then you get everyone. How else are you going to get a bunch of people to jump in uh, covered wagons and be like, hey, we might die or we might drown in a river, but there's gold in them hills. You kind of got to do it, right? Is, yeah, it kind of, what was it? What was I going to use for that? It's almost like there's a sort of hesitation. No one wants to dump in a lot and see it not work. But everyone's very, if it does work, they'll open up the, the purse strings. It's, that's very exciting yeah there might there might actually be like an element of game theory to this Mm. so like in in the beginning the beginning of the of the fusion research effort the soviet union was putting i think substantially more resources than anyone else and as a result they were leading the field but i mean it didn't get them anything right they poured a lot of money into this the u.s um really learned a lot from the soviet program (laughs) Um, I mean, Tokamak, yeah. the word Tokamak is a Russian acronym. Yeah. And so they, they led the field, they made their mark on, on uh, the scientific discipline, but you know, it didn't get them a power plant. Yeah. And so at this moment now, it's kind of in your best interest to, to not put yeah. your resources in. Yeah. And as long as the project still goes, as long as you're still learning from it, and then, and then uh, you know, put your resources in later when, yeah. when you have something to gain. I mean, look at the Manhattan Project, the KGB, Laverty Berioff, they had they had Klaus Fuchs, they had moles in the Manhattan Project. Why dump two billion dollars in it when you can let the Americans do it and then you just, you know, sneak on in there? Or look what the Chinese do with the F thirty five strike fighter. Why dump a trillion dollars in a research when you can just wait until they get it and then just, you know, hacker man go in there and get it? It's uh yeah, there is a little bit of game theory. But on the flip side of this, kind of viewing it from the other way, fusion is uh, one of the best examples of international scientific collaboration. Mm. And so, you know, even at the height of the Cold War, 
um, in, in 1968, so when, when tensions were, were close to their maximum, the Soviets made a, a big breakthrough um, in fusion, uh, but they didn't have the sophisticated diagnostics they needed to verify. They, like, they thought they were getting really good performance, and a lot of their indicators were that it, it was true, but they couldn't be sure. And so actually some, some scientists from the UK uh, went, traveled to Moscow, installed this sophisticated diagnostic and verified that the Soviets really had um, achieved this incredible performance. And so fusion, despite the fact that it's, that it's nuclear, nuclear technology, um, you know, has a history of bringing countries together through international scientific collaboration. And in that sense, it's, it's kind of an inspiration for the world. Yeah. International Space Station is a great example of that. I mean, that was well, that was one hundred and fifty billion dollars. Um, Jason, where is the uh, this ginormous fusion thing going to be built in twenty twenty five? Where's it going to be? So it's a, it's in a very fine location uh, in the south of France. <clears throat> it's in a place called uh, Cadarache, which is close to uh, Marseille. Isn't that where CERN is? Um, is it, sorry, isn't that where CERN is? Or no. Oh no, CERN, CERN's a bit further north and a bit further to the uh, east. So CERN is kind of in Switzerland, okay. Italy, and uh, Germany. Uh, and not even sorry, close. Switzerland's in Italy <laughs> okay. and France. Yeah, yeah. you can call me an idiot. It's yeah. fine. You don't need to be nice. Like no, dumb, <laughs> no, that's, no that's dumb shit. Knowledge. You missed. You missed. Try again, Tom. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, but um, it's going to be in South France. South of France. South of France. Yeah, yeah. Cool. I mean, you can yep. you can look. At, I mean, they've been building it for quite a while now. I think yeah. um, it's. A few years ago, they mentioned that it was already over halfway built, whatever that means. Um, but if you go onto eta.org, I think you can um, you can check out some of the images, which are quite. I mean, it's the scale of it is really uh, mind blowing. Actually, uh, after this, you can take a look if you like, uh, or now, and it's uh, it's really um, like the the number of <clears throat> different types of facilities they have to build on site, the way that they have to transport. Um, some of the materials are like the huge magnetic coils, for example, for the tokamak, uh, the vacuum vessel, all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, it's it's a ma it's a mammoth undertaking. It's, how do you spell it? Eater? E A T E R? Oh, uh, I T E R. Oh. There you go. Yeah. I, I T E R. Yeah, I, I, I got a chance to visit it this past summer. Oh, you did. And I think the best analogy is is that of a cathedral, um, because I mean it's. You, you walk in and so they, they built kind of the the buildings and they're they're constructing the, the the scientific components as well but it's your eyes just kind of immediately get drawn mm. upwards to this uh this just massive structure and then it's also like a cathedral in that you know it was the project was originally started in in the 1980s by a treaty between gorbachev and reagan and it was started construction i think around 2006 and it's now about halfway done so it's really a, a project that spans spans generations yeah well it's also like a cathedral and that yeah it's, it's it's devoted to the divine i mean what is more <laughs> what is more divine than you know oppenheimer said about vision or was it oppenheimer or enrico Fermi? um we are we are tampering with powers heretofore reserved for the almighty that was vision mm -hmm. vision's a little brother of fusion right Fission's the bottle rocket. Fusion's the like one where you, so. yeah. Fusion. Fission's <laughs> the bottle rocket. Fusion's the one where your big brother comes and goes. Hey, I got something cooler, and he puts some gas in a can and pressurizes it. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I remember. Yeah, man. I remember. I grew up in a in a really nice neighborhood. I remember me and my brothers used to like 
we'd throw those little, little black cat fireworks. My older brother, John, mm-hmm. who's an engineer, he was like, that's bullshit. And he went and got a big two liter of Coke, filled it with dry ice and some water, shook it up, and we'd, we'd throw it all the way down the driveway. My God, it sounded like an execution. <laughs> Just like... <laughs> It was insane. Yeah. But yeah, it's kind of like fusion of fission. Fission fusion's the big brother, you know. It's pat it's patting the head of fission and it's like that's nice. That's nice. But like, you know, there's more out there. Um So and this is a stupid question, but I got to ask, why isn't something like this I know there's a lot of reasons wrong with it. Why isn't something like this being built, you know, almost like the Svalbard um seed vault? Where it's 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 in an area of I want to say Switzerland, um, maybe Sweden. I don't know. Way up north, and it's in a mountain where there's permafrost. So even if all the power cuts out, it will maintain the seeds for forever, and it can survive a direct nuclear hit. Why wouldn't you have something like fusion? Why wouldn't you build it much farther north in? permafrost so it's like you just have that like let earth do some of the work for you and just stay cold it's like what they say about you know sleeping on the ground when like homeless people stay on the bench and it's why not or why not the ground and so your body can't heat up the earth that's what's going to kill you is why not sort of tap into that um that just naturally frozen tundra or am i answering my own question and it's because you got to construct something in the tundra I mean, I think I think it's a, it's a good question. Um, the the device eater, which is you know billions of dollars, is being located in a seismically active region. And so one of the first things they had to do in building it was you know the first I think two years was building it precisely level ground, so leveling the ground, and then putting these seismic isolators. Yeah. So in the case that there is a strong earthquake, the the device isn't destroyed. Like um, but I mean. It comes down, like many things in life, to politics. Yeah. Um, the French government was willing to pay more than any other government to ensure that that it was at um, in, in 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 France. Yeah. And then also being close to Marseille is useful because, you know, we say that Eater is being built in in France, but primarily Eater is being built all around the world. Okay. And so coils are assembled in China okay. and Japan, and then they're shipped because countries don't. Don't like to vote. Um, don't like spending money in true. other people's country. So they they build components, and then you, you have the the world's biggest uh, uh, Lego set yeah. being assembled then in France out of the the components. Well, it's like what they say about the military industrial complex and how it's geographic lobbying. A lot of times, yeah, something yeah. will get passed, and it's like it's fine, but um, make sure you put a plant in Massachusetts. We'll manufacture mm-hmm. the wheels in Michigan, right? It's that's how stuff gets passed. But it almost seems like that's not like a that's not an avoidable thing. It's like if you want it to happen, you kind of got to play the game, right? There's gonna be there's gonna be pork barrel spending. There's gonna be probably some corruption. Um. So. Yeah. What? What? So, it's me. You guys have entertained me asking all my stupid questions. What? What excites y'all the most? What is the thing that? what makes it look realistic you know when it's like you know if you see like uh you know this will be a video game in 2030 it's it's cool it's whatever 
But when someone says, like, hey, man, I got a new Xbox One X. I just got the new Modern Warfare. I got the new Just Cause. Here's a 4K TV. You want to play it later? Then you're like, oh, shit, it's right there, you know? We can study, take the test, and then we can go play. Because it's, it's real, right? It's right there. It's realistic, mm -hmm. you know? It's like when there's a girl that's way too hot. You can't even really get excited because you're like, she's not even going to look at me. But a girl who's like a little less hot, you're like, she might let me buy her a drink. Like, you know, she might let me, she might break my heart for fun. Like, all right, whatever. It's what gets y'all excited because it's, it's realistic, not because it's in 2500, we're going to have cold fusion and the world's going to be utopia. Yeah, sure. Whatever. But we're going to be dead. What, what gets y'all going? What, what makes you excited? <laughs> on, a, on a personal level or i mean i'm excited by lots of things i guess i could give my, my maybe the greatest hits um i think <laughs> well the obviously so i mean if you if you um look at civilizations throughout history obviously the ones that are able to manipulate and store energy and channel it into uses that they find useful on the greatest scale tend to be the most successful mm. tend to have the highest standards of living for their for their mm. people etc um so I really think that, um, you know, in the long term, one of the biggest goals of human civilization should be to the maximized amount of energy that it can manipulate and channel into different uses. Mm. Um, and fusion really is um, a way to up our game uh, by an order of magnitude, you know, rather than being dependent on things that died a long time ago, um, mm. you know, and burning their, you know, their, their dead corpses or whatever. Um, you know, nuclear physics is a way to um, to really be able to, you know, open up the solar system and beyond for humans. So that that really excites me. Yeah. Um, maybe that's a long term goal. Obviously, um, when it comes to fusion, um, fusion is really cool from a theoretical physicist's perspective because, um, on the one hand, it's just the physics of it is really interesting. So, um, to the way that um, you get fusion, the basic idea is you superheat a gas, right? Uh, and when a gas gets really hot, uh, then there are so many collisions between all the particles um, that the um, that the electrons and the ions uh, tend to become separated, and this causes something called a plasma to form. Um, and this is very exciting because uh, it has all kinds of interesting behavior that neutral gases don't have. Um, and it turns out um, in a fusion reactor, um, so let's say a fusion reactor um, uh, to go from the, the side to the middle in ETA is going to be a few meters. Okay. Uh, and basically, um, you go from room temperature, uh, roughly at the edge, to hundreds of millions of degrees in the, in the center, and you do that in a few meters, which is one of the highest steady state temperature gradients anywhere in the observable universe, I'm sure. Um, and that lends itself to some really fascinating physics. Um, it causes all kinds of crazy instabilities, uh, and these instabilities um, can become turbulence. Um, and turbulence is a whole field of study that people think about um, without, um, you know, without even the context of fusion. So I think the thing that really gets me excited is trying to come up with smart ways to think about physics that will actually make a fusion reactor easier to build mm. uh, and more successful on a, on a faster timeline, whilst also doing some really nice mathematics and supercomputer simulations at the same time. Um, that's the thing that really gets me up in the morning, I guess. And Hell yeah. obviously the long-term goal is um, getting fusion going. And um, yeah, it's it's. if you think about like the, the types of energy sources that are really available in the long term, the only thing that's more efficient 
then uh, fusion is matter antimatter. But yeah, um, the problem is, is there's a big lack of matter or antimatter, depending on how you label it in the observable universe. <laughs> yeah. So it's not like you can exactly just like harvest it from nowhere. So yeah. fusion probably is, according to our current understanding of the universe, the best long term way of generating um, uh, energy. So let's do it. It's yeah. very, very hard. Yeah, of course, it's hard. Um, but yeah, it's a testament to human ingenuity and organization if we actually managed to get there. So yeah. end of spiel. Yeah, no, no, that was beautiful. I mean, but that's, I mean, that's literally why we went to the moon. We choose to go to the moon at the end of this decade and do the other things, not because it is easy, but because they're hard. Like, I mean, that's literally how we got to the moon is it's, you don't want something simple. You don't want to find a more efficient uh, coal-fired power plant. So we've been doing that since we thought the earth was flat. No, not then, but still, it's... But not only that, matter, any matter, you know what? It costs something like, what, like $100 trillion a gram or something for any matter, right? It's, well, how else are we going to get to any matter without a fusion reactor to power all the supercomputers, to power all the machinery and automation? How else are you going to do that? You got to have one to get to the other, right? Am I just, is, that, is that wishful thinking or it's, we can't get to it without, you know, does that make sense? I mean, it, it, it's definitely true that in order to create inordinately large amounts of, of uh, antimatter, you would need a very significant power supply. Uh, that's true. To create, <laughs> I mean, to create um, to create one kilogram of antimatter, you'd probably need the amount of um, energy that human civilization uses in months. I, I expect, right? Yeah. Properly speaking. But, that, that's, but, but that's about right. So yeah. But I mean, that's what opens the doors to these insane things. I mean, how do you, how do you keep a, a 1,200 foot long aircraft carrier with a crew of 5,000 in its own little airport going around the world, aside from needing food for 20 years without refueling? See, with nuclear react, granted that's fission. Same with nuclear subs. How do we, how do we manage to explore the far reaches of the solar system and yeet stuff 100 trillion miles away? Nuclear power. Mm-hmm. These things mm-hmm. unlock like it's it's a video game they unlock the next level and fusion so not only would you need to power it but i mean is you know as we move towards further and further automation and more complete and evolved automation as well as artificial intelligence we're going to get to a point where you know we could have robots building the supercomputers we could have all this manufacturing where it goes 24 7 you don't need human input all right we need a a hundred exaflops to crunch the power needed or crunch the equation for needed uh for antimatter why don't we build 10 of those supercomputers who's going to build it the drones who's going to power the drones fusion i mean if you can get if you can get the outlet that never runs out the sky's the limit right i mean mm-hmm. you can you can get to a point where then antimatter is done and not, is there anything after antimatter is that the end all is that 100 percent I think the rest is science fiction. I heard about that. Yeah. So speaking yeah. of science fiction, I heard about a uh, it's a black hole power plant. Oh Jesus! The idea, is the, the idea is it's similar to matter antimatter, um, just just in in a way more practical, but in a way very much less practical. Um, but you have a you have a very small black hole. And you can just drop any material you want into it, any any matter that you don't you don't want, you just drop into this black hole and then through Hawking radiation it radiates wow. the matter back purely in the form of energy. And so it needs to be a really, really small black hole, like a, a microscopic black hole to, to radiate enough energy to be useful. But but theoretically it might be possible. That's a mad thing. Is that 
that's that there's also another black hole idea right which is using the penrose process <clears throat> whereby you can you can basically most black holes have some kind of angular momentum to them and the idea i think this is different so justin was talking about hawking radiation another idea is that you you um extract rotational energy from a black hole using something called the penrose process um and this is i think even more laughable but uh, actually if you look at the amount of energy stored in supermassive spinning black holes it's probably quite a lot actually um so if we run out yeah if, if we somehow get to the you know the end game whereby we fissioned all the fission fissile material and we fusioned all the fusionable material uh you might be able to spin down black holes but have, have, yeah have you ever read the uh what is it the last question or the final question by isaac asimov is that the one with the electron pump, or is this different? No, no this is like okay. a two-minute read. It's like two pages, but it's oh, they have like a few. I think they have a fusion reactor, and they're like, "How long will this run?" And they're like, "It'll run until hydrogen runs out." And someone's like, "Well, hydrogen will eventually run out." And like he's like, "Yeah, but like that's in like ten to the eighty years." <laughs> and he's like, "But we will we will eventually get there, right?" So they go and they ask the supercomputer, and I don't want to spoil it for you. I've it's legitimately like a five minute read. It is, it'll yeah. stick with you. But the question comes up and it's like, but it will eventually happen, right? It's insane. Mm. It's a mind blower. But I mean, I, you, sorry, what? No, no, I, I think I have read it. Yeah, I, I should read it again because I don't remember. It, the is, it really is. You can read it in the time it takes to take a shit, depending on how much fiber you eat. But like when you said a laughable idea, it's, you know, I heard someone say yesterday and he was like, imagine if the Wright brothers had been a lawyer and an accountant. And one of them said, I think we can build this. And he said, what? Think about the liabilities. What about the profit margin? What about the influx? You're not going to get anything. This is bad PR. Why are we doing this when we're already making 40% on bicycles? You're right. We're not going to do that. Like, that sucks. You got to have a dreamer. So, I mean, you kind of, you got to have to get to the point where it's laughable, right? You got to look at it. It's, mm. You got to approach the laughable stuff. Um, what I was going to say is, this is my stupidity showing but you know if you ever take like a metal spoon and you bend it back and forth and it starts to get hot right i don't know if you ever did that or if i'm mm -hmm. just i was just a dumb kid if you use like spaghettification on a black hole you know, neil degrasse tyson says uh, pulls everything apart like spaghetti could you mm -hmm. somehow like harness that heat to boil away water you know have something infinitely stretched by a black hole and use that kind of like a bendy spoon or is that kind of like if you're at a point where you can like approach a black hole and not die, you're probably far beyond boiling water for energy? I think the problem is is that the stretching that happens, it would require an acceleration of the object, uh, which would be so great that it would it would break apart the um, electric bonds that are holding together the um, the material. I think. Yeah, well, I don't think we're anywhere I close think... to that. So. Um, I mean, imagine you, imagine you had an infinitely long, well, a very, very long rope. Let's say it's half the diameter of half, that is the radius of the Milky Way. And you kind of like tease it towards the black hole yeah. in the middle. And the idea is that you accelerate it or you, you heat it up. You'd need, yeah, you would just need an insanely ridiculous material that is able to, to be stretched by yeah. orders of magnitude. Um, and then you somehow need to get it out of there as well. Yeah. Um, Space yeah. elevator on steroids. There we go. Exactly. Yeah, space, yeah. Stretchy space elevator. Yeah. Um, Justin, so yeah. uh, Jason and I kind of just we skipped over you, but um, what gets you excited, oh, man? Oh, thanks for remembering. Yeah. 
what, so, what gets so you, you guys excited? have been talking a yeah. lot about the the future yeah. right and so the way the way i got interested and excited about nuclear power was was reading about the history mm. um which is just so I, I was interested in, in nuclear power in general, right? Fission and fusion um, when I was in high school. And so I just, uh, you know, devoured all the books about, you know, in the 1950s, just all sorts of crazy stuff happened. Yeah. It was the, the wild west of, yeah. of, of nuclear energy. People Fallout. were flying fission reactors above Texas and there was like a murder or suicide and, in Idaho and... Um, you know, all sorts of interesting fusion stuff was happening as well. Like uh, in the 50s, the first um, controlled, well, not, maybe not the first, but one of the early designs was just by some random Russian soldier um, with an eighth grade education, just was on an island board um, and had a military library at his access and just became a self-taught nuclear expert and proposed one of the, the earliest uh, controlled fusion power plant designs. And so there's just all, all sorts of, of yeah. crazy stories that just drew me in. Just, yeah. Um, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Yeah. It's um, So I, I, had a, I had a question. I know you said that you guys can only do an hour. So, um, yeah, before, so we got like five more minutes. Um, mm-hmm. Will you guys do another one sometime? If you both are free again sometime? It doesn't have to be anytime soon if you don't want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm gonna get your book and read it and extract as much as I can with my my limited knowledge. Like, okay, fusion strong. All right. Um, <laughs> I saw some comment though, it was on some like fusion documentary, and someone was like, "Isn't it funny how like doesn't matter how advanced we get, ultimately we're just finding more and more efficient ways to boil water." Is right? Cause it's all. It's all. So what I want to ask is. Is there a way to get energy out that isn't just boiling water and spinning in turbine? Like, is there a more direct way? Is there something that's more direct from fusion? Is there, or is it, do we have to have some medium where we convert it to work or energy or whatever the proper physics term is? Or is it always boiling so, substance, something? Uh, I mean, they're already examples, right? So wind turbines, they use, they directly um, rotate a coil within a, a permanent magnet, mm. uh, which um, which creates electromagnetic induction, which I think is how almost all, most of our electricity is generated. Um, with fusion, you're right, the early, the early plants will be very sophisticated water boilers, which is a huge accomplishment, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. Um, to be fair, to be fair, as a species, we are very good at boiling water. Hey. I actually just hey, yeah. earlier today. Hey, yeah. We hey, aren't, we, or we are. We are. Hey, we, we are, are fantastic. Oh, we, we are. Yes. We are the destroyers yes. of world. In terms of the water species, they hate us because we boil them for <laughs> yeah. fun. We, yeah. I boil, yeah, I boil them to power my phone while I'm taking a shit and I look at memes. Like, yeah. So, um, sorry. Back to what you were saying, Jason. You know, uh, it's it's a very good question because obviously there are thermodynamic uh, limits that you get when you when you have two, uh, you know, when you have two bars at different temperature and you need to you need to convert one thing into another. Um, I think that what I would say is there are there are things called. Um, well, there is a there is a form of fusion called aneutronic fusion, which are which are reactions that are harder to do because the the probability that um, the the fuels will hit each other is a lot lower. Um, but the basic idea is that um, instead of generating neutrons, 
that go on to heat up um, water, which is what deuterium and tritium do. Deuterium and tritium, they fusion into a helium particle and uh, a neutron. Um, some of the more advanced fuels um, actually might have, say, for example, um, positively charged um, products. So say, for example, you might just have, uh, you might have a proton that goes off um, and is going off at a very high speed and somehow you're able to convert um, that it's like an electric current mm-hmm. um, and you convert that into useful electricity. Um, oh, but I wow. think current research attempts at this have not been very efficient. It's maybe at most 10 to 15% efficient. But Justin, do you, do you have anything yeah. to add to that? So, so this is called direct energy conversion, basically. And so for for the current type of fusion we're trying to do, the easiest type of fusion, deuterium, tritium, most of the energy comes off in the form of a neutron which is neutral so you can't you can't really use direct energy conversion for more advanced types of fusion you potentially could um, theoretically the efficiency can be quite high um, of, of direct energy conversion much higher than than boiling water um, but in practice uh, it's very challenging and I don't think I don't think anyone's really um, demonstrated at any sort of significant scale that it, that it can be done but um, it's definitely interesting yeah, maybe we should master a uh, a sustainable fusion reaction before we worry about the uh, what we're gonna boil. You know, mm. it's uh, yeah, it's kind of like uh, if you're seeing that meme where it's like me like daydreaming about like what color my Lamborghini is gonna be in as I get yelled at from my parents for being unemployed. <laughs> like it's like, <laughs> hey man, maybe we should worry about the other one. But um, mm. hey, it's four p.m. my time. It's been exactly one hour. I know that's what uh y'all have available for today but um justin i'll email you my um or jason whoever i'll email you the uh schedule i think i'm pretty much full for like the next almost two weeks we should definitely do another one i'll read your book or attempt to read it and we can come back on and talk more about it and you guys can uh talk about stuff that is light years above my head but I'm, I'm happy to learn and I'm happy and I'm happy to just try to inform some people that if we're not pursuing further fission uh, fission reactor construction and fusion research we are going in the exact opposite direction of evolution we are walking right back mm-hmm. into the caves like we are yeah so guys thank you so much for coming on Jason Parisi Justin Ball Authors of the Future of Fusion Energy available on Amazon.com. Very nice to have you guys. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks a lot, Tommy. All right, guys. Peace. Take care. Stay safe. Coronavirus. Yeah. (laughs) Peace. Thank you. Stay safe. Thank you. Peace. See you guys. Sure, yeah.